0: Please join me in uh, your copy of God's Word in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we finish this uh, glorious passage and our discussion of the resurrection here this morning. This chapter and the last verses of this chapter is the dramatic conclusion to this book. It's a beautiful and a mighty victory song. In many ways, this chapter serves as a climax to the letter as a whole. Uh, In November of 1919, theologian Karl Barth wrote a letter to a friend of his, and he said this, he said, "'Yesterday and today I sat over 1 Corinthians 15, but I came to a dead stop in the earliest stages as I started to work through it thoroughly.'" The chapter is the key to the entire letter with its profound disclosures, which have their source in ultimate wisdom. Some of them have struck us recently like shocks from an electric eel. Many others have said the same thing. This book, uh, this chapter brings the book to a dramatic conclusion here. Everything Paul has been saying up to this point finds, as it's anchor its source, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, Paul has explained in this book that in this, in this chapter that, that Christ has died for our sins. If he did not rise, the Corinthians and us were still in our sins. And so he concludes this for the first section of his argument with an urge to stop sinning in verse 34 and then he's going to remind them that it's this resurrection that gives them the hope to continue on and to live the Christian life. The fact that Jesus has died upon the cross for our sins and rose again to give us victory is the cornerstone for all that Paul has exhorted the Corinthians in these uh, last 14 chapters to get along with one another, to stop sinning, to, to love each other, to pursue unity. It's all rooted in the victory of Jesus over sin and death. I want us to just read together these last uh, few verses of chapter 15, beginning in verse 50, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in in verse 50. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment together about the victory of the resurrection. You know, as we, as we think about this passage, and really as we think about our life, we're acutely aware of the reign of death. In, in verse, back in verse 22, which we read last week, but not this morning, Paul had said, For as in Adam all die. As in Adam all die. History bears that out, right? Our own experience death comes to all here upon this earth. The Bible traces that back to Adam. In fact, he tells us that this reign of death uh, began in, in Romans 5, 4, uh, began w- with Adam uh, in, in Romans 5:14 tells us that death reigned from Adam to Moses. Uh, Verse 12 of Romans 5 tells us further that just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. That moment there in the garden when Adam and Eve decided that they were going to give up the, the, the glorious position, the glorious authority that he had given them over creation, and they were going to exchange The reign of God, for their own way of thinking, the Bible says from that moment, death began to reign over the whole of humanity. Romans tells us that death spread to all men. No one has escaped it. Death's reign has been an ugly and a harsh one. It has left nothing but devastation in its wake. In this world we have all to one degree or another experienced the pain of death, the death of a loved one, maybe the death of a parent when you were a young child, a death of a child as a parent. We have seen the effects and the ugliness of death and it is not pretty and yet 1 Corinthians 15 here speaks of, of, of a victory, of a, of a Savior who has come and conquered death. Boy, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes it feels like death still reigns. As you're standing by the bedside of a loved one who is getting ready to leave this earth, we cry out and say, God, I thought there was victory. As we're going to see here, the victory that Jesus has accomplished while has been fully secured, the effects of death and sin still live among us. It's why we, as believers, though we have done, the Bible says we're a new creation. The Bible calls us new men and women in Christ. We've been made new. We've been born again. It's why we still sin. It's why we still do wrong things. Like Paul says in Romans 7, the things I don't want to do, I still do them. Why is that? Because we're living in this stage of in-betweenness. Theologians call it the already but not yet. The victory has been secured by Christ. But the final realization of all of the effects of that victory have not yet been seen. And so we live in this land of in-between. As we think about the victory of Christ, we have this promise. If you look back at verse 22, he says, "...for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive." That is the hope that we talked about last week, the resurrection. Yes, we still live in this place where unless Jesus returns, all of us will one day breathe our last. Paul calls it for the Christian falling asleep because it's not the end. In Christ, we shall all be made alive. That's the victory that we enjoy. In Paul goes on this uh, bit of a, I don't know whether you want to say it, like finishing his sermon or a bit of a rant. Because he wants the Christians to know that, that there is hope beyond the grave, that death is not going to get the final say. It still seems, from where we're standing, that death still reigns. But Paul wants them to know that there is a victory that lies beyond our last breath, that has been secured by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Particularly in these verses that we read, verses 50 through 54, he wants the Corinthians to know that not only those who have died in Christ will be resurrected, but even those who are alive when Jesus returns will receive a resurrection body. He wants them to know that ultimately, at the end of the day, what verse 54 says is true, that death has been swallowed up in victory. There is victory in Jesus. Remember that old song? It's the truth. It comes right from here in First Corinthians 15. You see, to this very day, man has tried everything that we can do to undo the curse and defeat death. Seems like every week there are new commercials for the latest cream or tonic to reverse the aging process. We have pills, machines, and exercise routines to keep us alive longer. We have plastic surgery. We've tried to figure out time travel. Ponce de Leon searched for the mythical fountain of youth. But as I'm sure most of you have realized, none of those things work. But the good news this morning is that there is someone who has loosed the cords of death. Someone has found a way to defeat this wretched and devastating enemy. It's not a plastic surgeon surgeon, and it's not Ponce de Leon. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the great reversal. Death reigned under our first father, Adam. None escaping its devastating grasp. But now in Christ, there is another outcome. In Christ shall all be made alive. Look how vividly Paul pictures the victory of Christ. He, in fact, he, he taunts death. Verse 54 Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? What have you got for us, death? That's it, just an end to this journey? That's all you've got? You've got no lasting victory? You've got got nothing where you can stand over your vanquished foe and say, in the end, I have won, I have conquered, I have defeated. You've You've got nothing. To be sure, you deal a blow, but it is not a fatal one, ultimately. These verses, verse 54 and 55, are quotes from the Old Testament. Isaiah 25, 8, and Hosea 13, 14, respectively. One writer says these rhetorical questions now sneer defiantly at death's impotence in the face of God's powerful act of mercy and forgiveness in Christ. When we talk about the death of Jesus Christ, there are several different ways in which Scripture approaches and looks at what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And so often we spend time focusing on his substitution for our sin. And we should. The Bible teaches that. But there is an aspect of the atonement that we often neglect. I know I often neglected in my preaching that on the cross, Jesus accomplished the victory. Theologians call this Christus Victor, that Jesus One and reigns. I I love how one theologian puts this. He says, Jesus' death is not only a transaction of my sin being placed into Jesus' account. That's true, but there's much more to it than that. Jesus lets the powers do their very worst to him. He takes the full brunt of sin, drinks the dregs of judgment, And allows death to hold him in his clutches. Then in the midst of a powerless death emerges a divine saving power to forgive, redeem, and renew. The festering cancer of sin has at last heard news of its cure. In the apex of death, life rises with healing in its wings. Satan's force is spent. His worst was no match. For the best of the Son of God. The fatal wound of Jesus deals a fatal blow to death. The powers of this present darkness shiver as the looming tsunami of the kingdom of God draws ever nearer. This is Paul's atonement theology. This, my brothers and sisters, is the victory of God. Death is in its final death throes. The fatal blow has been struck. God has taken the kill shot. Paul wants us to see that death no longer has a sting. That sting was paid for. That sting was sin, and that sin has been removed and completely paid for by Jesus Christ. One day God is going to remove every last inkling of death, every shadow, every remnant, every trace. Someone else has said, on the last day, believers will find themselves both innocent of the guilt of sin and free from the power and the presence of sin. This passage is ultimately about the execution of God's plan, secured by Christ's death and resurrection and guaranteed by his continuing reign and ultimate destruction of his enemies to bring about the complete renewal of humanity and creation. Not only will the ultimate enemy, death, be destroyed, but every trace of its causes and consequences, every one of its allies and partners will be removed. This is the promise, the sure promise of God's word, my brothers and sisters. It does not mean that death does not cause our heart to ache. As we watch the effects of sin still in this world, whether that's the sin that we commit against one another, the atrocities that we still observe in this world, or whether that's the the ultimate, um, in quotes, victory of sin in our breathing our last here on this earth. Our heart still aches as we're confronted with the vivid reality of sin. But we know that that's not the end of the story. We know that sin doesn't get the last word. Some of us, when we get into a debate or an argument or a a spirited discussion, shall we say, with our spouse, we're we're the last word person. We just got to get that last little jab, that last little dig, that last... We've got to finish it. They might have started it, but I'm going to finish it. Jesus has gotten the last word with death. It may feel in this world that that's not the case as we say goodbye to loved ones. It may feel that way. But Jesus, that's why 1 Corinthians talks about Jesus being the first fruits of the resurrection. There are a lot of reasons that Jesus rose from the dead, and one of them is to say to us, guys, it's going to happen, and I'll prove it to you, I'll do it myself. And and you will follow one day. He's the first fruits. As his followers, we can be assured that our last breath here is not the final chapter, it's the beginning of a book that will never end. As we think about what this truth means to us by way of application. I I just want to (laughs) say with every fiber in my being, I I hope that you believe this morning that Jesus has conquered. I realize that there are times in this world that it does not feel that way. just had a a long conversation with a loved one yesterday who does not sense this at all. They, They don't feel any sort of a victory in their life. This 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 word to us, it matters because life deals a lot of blows. There are a lot of, there's just a lot of junk in life. And to turn to the pages of scripture and be reminded that what happened on the cross has secured the ultimate victory, it brings hope. Jesus has conquered Some of you have heard this before, but the well-known evangelist D.L. Moody once said this. Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die, but that which is born of the spirit will live forever. In his vision of the new heavens and the new earth, the disciple John wrote this in Revelation chapter 21. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. The former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. My brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us that we are conquerors. Romans 8 tells us that we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. No matter what it may seem, death will not get the final say. Death does not get the final word in the argument. Jesus Christ has crushed the serpent's head. We have hope. We can live in victory. And as believers, I want to ask you this morning, for those of you who know Jesus Christ, are you living like this is true. We may say we believe it. In our membership vows, which we just heard, we we stated that we believe the Bible is the Word of God, sufficient for us to walk with Him and to live in holiness. But do we live like we truly believe this? Look at the last verse. Paul's final word as he has built his argument out of what he has been saying, this is his exhortation. Therefore, based on what I've just told you, that we're victorious in Christ, the death has been swallowed up in victory. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain." This is God's word to us this morning. If we believe in the victory of Jesus over death in the grave, then this morning we can be steadfast and immovable. Those words are synonyms in the Greek and they just picture this, this rock that can't be shifted. sometimes like a, a teenager on the couch when you need them to make their bed, that picture there. Is, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here, I'm planted, I'm, I'm secure, I'm, I'm focused. We can be rest assured as we live this life and the, the, the storms of temptation and trials beat against us. We can be steadfast and immovable because Jesus has conquered the grave. He says be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. There's there's this picture of being always engaged, always focused and flourishing in the things that God has called you to do. Resolute, focused, not distracted by the things of the world. I remember growing up, I would hear the phrase sometimes uh, that... um, We just have to be careful about thinking too much about these future realities because there's a chance we could be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. I gotta be honest with you, I've never met anyone who was too heavenly minded. Never in my life. Because as you contemplate these realities, it becomes us, it it, it makes us more and more earthly gooder. (laughs) It makes us more equipped to endure hardship. It keeps us more focused as we keep our eyes on the risen and resurrected Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis once wrote, he said, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life, to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. That's our calling. That's discipleship right there, to press on to the other country and to help others do the same. That's what Jesus has called us to. I've said this before. The Christian life is not easy, but it's not all that complicated. Walking with God faithfully, yes, it is difficult but there's not a lot to it. Love Jesus, love other people. Press on to that other country and help others do the same. That's our calling. I want to close with a, a great picture from one of my favorite children's book series. I've had the chance to read um, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia" to all of our, all of our boys, except for Owen. Have, have I ever read it with Owen yet. I, I love this series. They think I'm reading it for them, but I, I I love to reread these stories. I don't care how old you are, they're beautiful, beautiful stories that point us to Jesus. And C.S. Lewis had that heart all the way throughout as he penned these. In one of the books, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, a, a ship sails east in search of lost countrymen and new adventures. One of the one of the passengers is a valiant, courageous mouse by the name of Reepicheep, and he is steadfastly set on a greater adventure. He's looking for something beyond. He has one destination in mind: Osland's country, Lewis's picture of heaven in these stories. From his youth, Reepa Cheep was taught in a poem that one day he would journey to the far east and find what his heart always longed for. The poem went like this, where sky and water meet, where the waves grow sweet, doubt not, Reepa Cheep, to find all you seek there in the utter east. After reciting the poem to his shipmates, Reepa Cheep says, I don't know what it means, but the spell of it has been on me all my life. Late in the journey, when they have sailed further than anyone on record, Reepa is thrown into the sea. And he notices to his surprise that the waters taste sweet, just like in the poem he heard from his youth. His excitement is unrestrainable. He knows he's close to Oslin's country so close he can literally taste it. Earlier in the voyage, Reepa Cheep had expressed his utter abandonment to the cause of seeking Oslan's country. He said, while I can, I sail east in the dawn treader. When she fails me, I will paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my forepaws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Oslan's country or shot over the edge of the world in some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. We can identify with this quest because the spell of heaven has been on us all our lives, even if we have sometimes confused it with lesser desires. That longing for another country, that longing for another home is from God. We know that that death has been defeated and we have been created for something more, something beyond this. But knowing that the victory is ours equips us and emboldens us and empowers us to live, as Paul said, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because we know this, that our labor is not in vain. Because the victory is secure, our labor is not in vain. We long for and live for another country, but that the strength that is provided by knowing Jesus has secured that other country gives us the grace and the strength in the here and now to abound in what God has called us to. May we abound in our labors for Christ, knowing that they're not in vain, knowing that because Christ has risen, Jesus has given us a mission that cannot fail, and that we pursue by his strength. As we get ready to close in prayer, I just want to remind you that as I'm praying, we're going to have some folks, some of our elders and some of our other people here come up to the front, and if, and if God's just working on your heart, or again, if, if there's a, a, something that he's burdened your heart with, maybe it has nothing to do with what we've talked about this morning, and maybe you just would like prayer for something that you've been struggling with or hurting. Uh, we would love for you to just take this moment to to come on up and and join our folks in prayer here. But let's, uh, let's bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ has secured, has conquered, has finished the work. We know and rejoice that our labor, it's not in vain. We celebrate that Our Savior lives. God, may that make a difference for us. May that it not just seem like a precious truth that's way out of reach, that we've got to set on the shelf because we're busy now, we've got work to do, there's serious life matters before us and I can't think about those things because... These things are too important. May we see that living in view of eternity helps equip us to handle and to walk through that which is before us right now. May we live in the victory of Jesus' victory over sin and death. Now may the God of peace Who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. May God bless you this week as you live in light of the resurrection.